Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me, as always. You can read all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com and 247sports.com slash Michigan. Uh, we're writing lots of stuff. Kind of a dry week in football news. I don't think there is actually any tangible news between when we last recorded. Now, it hasn't been a full week, but uh, plenty of basketball. I went to Madison this weekend. Uh, we got Michigan plays Minnesota tonight. We'll have tons of coverage there. And then Steve's been doing a lot of recruiting stuff. And, uh, you know, Michigan, I think they're at that point where there's really never a dull moment between between the three entities. But anyway, let's get started. Let's talk basketball to start. We'll have some recruiting toward the end. Um, nothing, nothing major, but some interesting discussion about the 2019 class. Maybe some 2020, 2021 trends later on. But first... Michigan losing at Wisconsin 64 to 54, suffering its first loss since April, first loss of the season, snapping a 17 and 0 start that led the nation. And and Steve will obviously parse through it a little bit, but it's been it's been 3 days since the loss happened. Is anything from this game a a long-term concern? In your eyes, does anything stick out like in that regard right away? Um, I mean, I, I at what point do you get concerned about Matthew's ability, you know, in the mid-range stuff? I know that was talked about yesterday in the press conference mm-hmm. with Beeline, but I mean, because that it's been a kind of a an important piece of their offense, and uh, I mean. Struggling there would be an understatement, correct? He has not hit a shot there in how long? I think it's 0 for 25. Right? Yeah. In this whatever stretch. That is not good. Uh, I, again, he's not going to keep that up. It's not going to be 0 for. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, early on in the season, in the big, like how many, how many of those he hit against Nova? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like yeah. that was a really, really big part of what they were doing offensively. Uh, I think it's obviously it's pretty clear as great as the game against Northwestern was as, as far as who stepped up. Uh, I don't think this is, can be the Simpson and Teske show offensively if Michigan is going to mm-hmm. go a really long ways, right? Um, 0 for 24 skid on mid-range jumpers. Uh, that's, that's, from, that's from umhoops.com uh, in conference games. Yeah, Struggle. And that's got to change. Uh, and I mean, obviously, he knows it. Everyone knows it. Beeline knows it. But as again, what Beeline does, he's not going to tell him like, "Hey, don't do that anymore." Like, no, just keep doing it. Uh, I, again, I, I suspect. You know, I, again, we feel like we're going to get to March, and we're going to be talking about how awesome Matthews' mid-range jumper has been. Like, it just always seems to be the way it works out with Michigan under Beeline. Mm-hmm. You know, but as far as everything else goes, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it felt like. I picked. I think I picked Michigan did. to lose yeah, yeah. this game. Uh, just had that hunch that it was kind of time. Plus, and I gotta say, I'm not trying to be like. Just watching Wisconsin play is just maddingly. It's just it drives me nuts to watch them play. Um, they they do they flop all over the floor. They they're like that annoying team like when you were younger they're like that annoying team like I feel like they'd be that team that would have like the really annoying parents on the sidelines who would like you know I don't know do you, you get where I'm going with this I at do. all like I know they're the like, tryhards 
the, yeah, the... It, yeah, you know, and it's like I get it, like it works for them uh, to some extent. I mean, again, I think they're what four and three now in the conference. I mean, they're not what they've been, mm-hmm. but it's just uh, I don't know. It's just it's really annoying to watch. As much, and that's the thing. It's like on the flip side, like I I like I love watching Wisconsin football. Uh, they're probably my the program that I would root for the most. Uh, in the Big Ten and like a in a big big game type setting or whatever, you know, I just have always respected the way that they've built that program. Uh, basketball, though, it's just it it just annoys the hell out of me. Uh, you know that like the part there was one play where they didn't give Davidson the charge, and I don't know if you saw this. You're probably you're probably sitting right there. Where like he like was dribbling the ball back up the floor and like still like almost like stopped and like looked at the ref to like try to talk to him like in the middle of the game while he's dribbling yeah to like get the like to like he wanted to discuss it further and it was just like stop you know and it's like uh all that said though Ethan Happ total I feel the total opposite there uh great player like I think they mentioned on the telecast a few times probably not going to be like an NBA guy uh but has been a, a really I mean, the guy's so effective, even though you know he's the guy that's going to get the ball every mm-hmm. single time down the floor. And there aren't many guys in college basketball that can do that. Uh, you know, so really admirable performance from him. You know, and again, Wisconsin, they got a couple good supporting cast performances. I think Aleem Ford stepped up and, and Kobe King as well. So uh, hats off to Wisconsin. I thought that they, they, they definitely deserved to win the game. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Michigan mm-hmm. was – very inconsistent offensively. I didn't expect to see – you knew that Iggy was going to have a poor game at some point, you know, where those – you know, where the game's been close and he's kind of been that guy that's gotten them those those sort of clutchish like, type baskets. You knew that that wasn't going to be the case every time they hit the floor. Yeah. Uh, but I did not see an offer coming. So uh, I think there's a little bit of disappointment there. Uh, but, again, learning experience – I suspect he'll rebound. I, I don't know about you. Do you buy into the whole, uh, you know, a loss is is a could be a benefit type yeah. thing? I mean, I, mean I, I wrote about it, right? Because, I, I, you know, and the thing that I point out is Beeline's teams, the, the cliche is that they all get always get better toward the end of the season. And having covered this team and being at the vast majority of these January, February games, I mean, I don't not going to Rutgers or Nebraska necessarily. Those are kind of far away. But, you know, seeing them at Iowa, seeing them at Minnesota, uh, Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, you know, seeing these losses. And it's fascinating because it seems like the the coaching staff almost needs these losses to come up with better game plans. And I, I don't know how much it's the players. It Just in my personal thing, I do think they – they might approach practice a little bit better. But, you know, in Wisconsin, I asked Beeline, like, you know, was it kind of hard to push as hard as you were when you were winning everything by 10 points? Because I don't know about you, Steve, but I this offense, I think, was due for a dud. You know, they yep. it's just not a – it's not the offense they had two years ago where it's like they can erupt at any time. It's, it's especially in the half court. If they're not getting transition buckets and if their threes don't fall at a – um, disproportionate rate, which I think it kind of did in 
November, December. I think that's how they beat Purdue that badly. I think that's how they beat North Carolina that badly. And if so, if the threes don't really fall, and they aren't getting transition buckets, I think they they are still trying to find different things that work. But it's really hard to like tinker or implement new things when you just put up eighty points and beat Northwestern by twenty. And and Beeline had the had the anecdote that this week, you know, he he was mad at his team. He wanted to make them run, but at the same time. Are you really going to make a team run and like treat them? I won't not treat them small because Beeline's not that kind of person. But like kind of like uh, get chew them out, get on their case, you know, make them mad at you when they're seventeen and zero and have fifteen wins by double digits. So I think there's an element of I think the growth process that Michigan has benefited from kind of necessitates failure because otherwise, I mean, again. If if you don't like your offense, you can't sit there and say it's not gonna. You know, it's it's much easier to say, "Hey, it didn't work," than it is to say, "Oh, I don't know if this is gonna work against a good team." Sure. So you know, I I don't like that the I don't know that it's the 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 best reaction after a loss to say to like clap it up and say, "Oh yeah, you know, Michigan needed a loss or whatever." Right. But I do think there's an element. I mean, they haven't they had their takeaway from a game hasn't been. Man, how do how, how does Michigan get better? They haven't had that takeaway since last February, because you know they're not reviewing the Villanova tape, saying like, oh, how you know, <laughs> on to the next one seven months from now, you know. But but and so like everything since then, other than that game, has been a win. And you say, okay, how do you get better? But at the same time, you also like kind of pat yourself on the back and say, yeah, that worked. So you know, I think. I think the other thing, and I think this team is pretty, I think there's some good chemistry that will prevent them from getting too high. I say that as someone who doesn't get to be in practice or in the locker room, but, you know, talking to these players, I think they're they're pretty focused, you know, moment focused, if that makes sense to our listeners. Like, they're, they're not thinking, oh, gosh, undefeated. But I think it can be really, really tough. I mean, because, like, when Wisconsin made that, run in the second half I think it was like it was only like an 8-3 run but they retook the lead and the crowd I mean really the entire Cole Center crowd is basically the annoying parent fans that you were referring to you know they love it when they draw charges they love it when there's shot clock violations I mean they just go nuts over that the minutia stuff Uh, they love the tedium you know it's it's but all of a sudden I was like I don't know if Michigan can survive this because it's just one of those things where it's like you're trying to protect your undefeated record versus just trying to beat a team. So I think there's, I don't know if they'll learn this one right away, but I think there's also an element to like the dogfight mentality. I think Michigan has it, but I don't know if they, it's been a while since they've needed it, at least in in the second half when things are, when it's an uphill battle. So... Yeah, there's benefits to a loss. You know, I think when you win 32 out of 33 games, I think you can forget what it's like. <laughs> so, or what it what it what it kind of means, take things for right. granted. I mean, you know, the freshman class, this was really interesting. They haven't they haven't experienced a game in college where they lost. And so, you know, like I don't know, I think as you said, it was probably coming. They're three and fourteen at the Cole Center. 
all time. I mean, it's just, it's not like the Kohl Center is built to be extra loud. It's just, it's a it's a tough crowd to to make your own momentum against. And and you saw, I mean, not none of the they they had like what two easy baskets the entire game. You know, there were no there were no uh, olays. You know, no one was just getting to the basket like it was nothing. Even the fast breaks, it was like somehow Wisconsin was able to get back on a lot of them. And well, I, yeah, right. You got to remember too from Wisconsin. I mean, this was. I wouldn't say it's a must-win, but I mean, kind of right. I mean, they're sort of in that position already. They were playing 500 ball in the conference. I don't know what they did in the non-conference schedule. They were good, but they were good. They they had a close loss to UVA and a close loss at Western Kentucky, but it was they they picked up some good wins. Okay, but kind of getting to crunch time though. I mean, yes. a little bit. Right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, six losses. Kind of a, yeah. Yeah, this was their this was one of their massive massive opportunities to put like a quality uh win on their resume. So, uh yeah, I mean, like I said, I had a suspicion that and you know, again, I went back to last week when I said like 5 days off, 6 days off in between the games. Feels like that every time they've had that so far this year, I think this is the third stretch where they've had like at least five or six days off in between games where the offenses come, come in and, and looked relatively sluggish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and with this game, it was a much higher quality opponent than it had been in the other two examples. Right. And, and, and they, you know, that's why to me, they were never really able to get much going offensively. I mean, when you have, you know, the formula for the loss was relatively simple on the offensive side is like, if you're getting nothing from Brasdakis and you're getting nothing from Matthews, you know, Poole's really the only other guy playing heavy minutes. Livers is capable sometimes, but uh, Poole, the only other guy playing heavy minutes, I think, who can like has the ability to create his own offense and to just put way too much pressure on him in the second half to try to keep them in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so here they are, seventeen and one. Yeah, Minnesota coming in tonight. I think, but well, they're all right, aren't they? I mean, uh, they lost three. to. I got yeah, they they lost to. Illinois on the road by like thirty points. Um, oh so, boy! So, but but you they know what? Wisconsin, they, they won at the Kohl Center. They though. did. They did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now that was like a weird because, like, I don't think the students were even technically back yet this sure. weekend against Wisconsin, no. and no, so they had made it. They made a point of mentioning that actually. Um, and so you know, what's the crowd going to be like? But I think they go back to school this week, so there might have been some students, and I don't know. I it's hard for me to tell. If it, if a Tuesday in like the, like on January third is the same scenario as you know a Saturday prime time thing that, that sold out, yeah, you know, I don't know, I don't know. If, if we want to dig in that, that's fine. But Minnesota, I think, is high potential because uh, Jordan Murphy, Amir Coffey, and Daniel Otubru all play at like you know first or second team All Big Ten level at times. I don't know if they don't do it all the time, you know, and they, they are, they're pretty bad with turnovers. And as I said, nope. Michigan, Michigan has a, uh, I'd have to check the numbers. I think they have an elite transition defense and transition offense. They probably a tournament team though. Right. I mean, seems like it at this pace. Yeah. What are they? Right. 13 and four, 14 and four. Um, yeah, well, good. It looks like they only they only got Ohio State once. They only get Michigan State once, so that can't hurt. 
they are on the outside looking in for the net rankings. Uh, Interesting. Which is, okay. I agree though. They're one of those teams though. Yeah, it's like, like, uh, yeah, a lot of really good individual players. I feel like, like I've watched them in other games before and and been pretty impressed. But it is one of those teams that Michigan always seems to play pretty well against, if I recall correctly. So yeah, there was that one game a couple years ago at Minnesota. But yeah, they're sixty five right. in the net ranking. So another team, hmm. if you're really thinking about it. They really need a win, um, but they've they've struggled away from home more than I think. Anyway, yeah, it. I think half our listeners are going to hear this after the game, so uh, we don't right. need to talk too much about previewing. But as far as like other things that are trends or that emerged, I think one that won't last. I don't think they're going to turn the ball over sixteen times. And you were watching. You were watching at home. You know. Wisconsin's going to draw three or four charges a game. You know that's that part. I don't think you really as 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 annoying as as annoyed as you were, Steve. You know it's just that's just who they are. You know they're a tough matchup for that reason. Beeline's five and five and seventeen against the Badgers in his career at Michigan. So, but the ones that are kind of iffy, I think, and the floor slipping. That's not going to happen every time. You know that's that's yeah. I noticed that too. Yeah, that was probably running. They had guys now. Here's one thing too I noticed. Tell me if I'm wrong here. If you'd in the first half when Michigan was on that end of the floor, I didn't recall seeing their towel guys running out while the while Wisconsin was on the other side and and wiping it clean. And I noticed in the second half that when uh, Michigan was on the other side of the floor, their towel the Wisconsin the towel boys were like sprinting out onto the floor and like rewiping the floor off to keep it dry. Um, Again, I didn't, maybe I just wasn't watching in the first half, but it was something that I noticed like a few times in the second half where they'd seem to be like just jetting out there, getting it dry, and then running back off. Um, so I think I think you might be right that they were going out there with more urgency, but that might have been a hey, this is a wet spot. We need to make sure we're doing this as you know. And that's I don't think they were like going out of their way to not because they they were wiping it down during the first half. It's not like it's not like they were like, "Oh yeah, whatever happens happens." You know, that every every basket um in every court they have the the kid it's it's a lot of times kids, which, you know, <laughs> the conspiracy theorists are probably annoyed at that, but but they all go out there and they wipe it like every single time. You know, and so so I don't think it was I don't think they weren't wiping as much with Michigan, but I could see at halftime if they're like, hey, there were like four slipping slip situations. We need to make sure that we're going it out at this better or, you know, have a third person, have a third kid out there to do it. Uh, not going to not going to let that conspiracy theory run, though. Um. <laughs> no, I didn't know. Just, like, I, I, like I said, I probably wasn't really paying a ton of attention in the first half. It's just but like I said, it kind of goes back. Like I just. I don't know, man, like that. Yeah, that try hard. Like, I just, it seems like something that it reminds me of, like, uh, uh, just a couple teams I played against when I was younger. So maybe that's why. But, like, and that Davidson, like, really is, and I almost give him, give him credit. Like, the guy just has an ability to get under everybody's skin. I mean, I noticed, I think, uh, when Simpson drew a foul late in the second half, I think he. he yeah, Xavier's about like, to punch him in the face reacted yeah and yeah it's like you don't ever see him get 
you know, that level of emotional. That's the one thing about him is he usually has the exact same look on his face, no matter what's going on. And, uh, you could tell that it was getting to him a little bit when he finally, when he felt like he finally got the foul call, you know? So, yeah. um, if it yeah. works, it works, right? And if the, and if the officials don't believe anything, yeah, you know what I mean? Like well, if, if, you know, if he's not breaking the rules. If it keeps, if it's not broke, don't fix it. That's, yeah. that's the way I would approach it if I was them. So, and yeah, maybe there's a couple that are flops, but he also just, like knows how to draw charges like he's he's right, committed right. to it enough and he's again they've they've drawn 55 charges in 18 games i think that's from uh dylan at, dylan burkhardt at um hoops and Jeez. and right so like this is not like some like is that most in the country you think i can't imagine anyone in like, the, in a major conference <laughs> yeah, right. in a major conference does it more i mean sure you know just interesting to yeah me. i'd like and you know again i mean I, whatever. We should almost move on. It's like I wonder how many of those were drawn at home compared to like on the road. You know, well, like, that's I, I just, every every um, opposing fan base who has to go to go to like Wisconsin has that thought. You know, it's right. always like a oh, you know, you get the cold calls and stuff like that. But uh, you know, that's as you said, probably enough as far as that goes. But yeah, they're not going to commit sixteen turnovers. I mean, they've done it. Uh, I want to say twice in the last 93 games, maybe maybe three times in the last 93 games. So it's it's kind of a, you know, you, you can't just say this and assume it'll never happen again, but it's kind of a once-a-season type of anomaly. And so, and, and you know, if you want to go by possession, the turnover rate was the highest in 91 games. So it's it's, that was rare. I think some of that stuff won't be replicated. I do think... The sloppy passes on the fast break. I, I think, I think Michigan was almost like too eager to like silence the crowd. If that maybe that doesn't make sense, but like you saw a couple of those fast breaks where the eyes got a little big or they were going a little, the feet were going quicker than than the head was and things like that. And so, or the other way around. But um, you know, it's it's experience they can learn from, right? You know, and I think it's. You you almost feel better about their chances now. Part of this is because Indiana has struggled, but you know, next two weekends, Friday night at Indiana, next Friday night at Iowa, and you almost think by getting this out of their system, they're in better shape. I will say, I think Wisconsin's defense might have uh, might have found some found some gold in stopping Michigan's offense. Just the ability to you know putting a big man a real power forward on Brzezakis and basically daring him to shoot. He's also someone who has struggled from, from three and from long twos lately, you know, not letting him out muscle you, which is how he gets a lot of his buckets. I think, you know, forcing, forcing a lot of long twos, uh, you know, if other teams can replicate that, you know, Michigan might be dependent on some inefficient shooting numbers to reverse course for them to win. So, We'll see. Still don't think that, yeah, but they, I just, they also, that's the flip side too, though. Would, would I say it'd be hard to rely on a, a Simpson, Simpson and Teske led offense if you're going to win games. But at the same time, though, those two start are really feel like they're starting to develop that two man game, like, uh, you yeah. know, pretty well, you know, because Teske was there, obviously was their most effective. Teske, if he player, plays like that, uh, well, I mean, I say, you know, that's what I say is like that, that, that would be that. Like what I meant was, you know, there are some positives in that regard because it again, it's hard to imagine 
that you're going to get, I don't care who they're playing. I think it's hard to imagine you're going to get that level of production out of Matthews and Brozdakis combined. Yeah. Again, now each one of those guys may not may, I'm sure each one of those guys will probably have an off game again at some point, but for both of them to play as poorly as they did, uh, I don't know if you're going to have that again, you know? And so Teske still being able to be as effective as he was with those two guys playing as poorly as they were, you know, I think is a, it's still something that you can take away. Oh, I think they were positive. I thought the defense right. did really, really well. I mean, right. Hap, Hap never, I would, I would say Wisconsin's offense never looked comfortable. You know, Michigan's didn't either, and that's something that they're going to have to continue to work on because I think there have been a few games this year where their offense didn't look comfortable. But the defense traveled. I thought uh, Teske, you know, was, when, you're, when you're in the press box at, at Kohl Center, you can – He's definitely hear everything the fans say. And, like, they were kind of mesmerized by Teske. And you got to remember, Wisconsin, uh, they've had some good centers come through. I mean, you know, Hap's going to be, like, their, what, third or fourth All-American center um, since, like, 2000. So it's it's they've had some really good players come through. And they were, like, blown away by, you know, how active he was. And I think Teske's feet have gotten really quick. But... Yeah, there were there were positives. Uh, I will not not entertain the notion that the Duke quotes that Iggy had were related to him being shut out. Not a chance. Oh, yeah. oh, uh, I ranted right. about that on the radio today, and um, if you disagree, feel free to tweet at me. You know, no one no one was saying he you know no one was saying do more say less to him when he was putting up twenty three points on North Carolina and twenty four right. points on Northwestern and twenty. One points on Purdue, or eighteen points on Villanova. I mean, it's just. I think I think teams have figured out though that there are ways you can slow him down. Because what was Villanova supposed to do? They had no idea that was going to happen, right? In North Carolina, like maybe there's a little bit more tape, but it's like you don't necessarily know what the answer is just yet. And I'd say I'd argue Purdue was in the same boat. They might not have had the personnel to slow him down like like Wisconsin had, but. Um, Teams know teams. He's the first guy they look at on the scouting report now. So, yeah, it's like, how do you want a guy like him to become ineffective? Then, like, just try to change who he is as a person. Yeah, you try to like, <laughs> like, but yeah, great idea. You know. Yeah, I mean, and like, yeah, we we can probably yeah. get into the do no, more say less rant whenever yeah, we want, but you know, know, Charles Woodson bragged all the time. He was so cocky. And all Braylon Edwards, super cocky. I mean, I'm sure if someone had asked Chris Weber, you know, hey, what do you think of this player? Do you think you could guard him? Like, what's he gonna do? Say, no, nah, I don't think not yet. You know, <laughs> we're kind of, I'm doing more and saying less right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I know. It's just, it's like, uh, yeah. I mean, like these guys are gonna meet with the media, and they have personalities like you and I do. And there you know, are reporters so, trying to capitalize, you know. Right, right, right. That's all. Yeah, there are. Yes, we know. Like, you know, it used to be why I think Michigan eventually, with Hoke, would change course and not put Frank Clark in front of a microphone because they knew that the media would, because he would just kind of say what he thought, and uh, the media would take a uh, huge advantage of that, you know. And uh, he's the one I remember in particular as a guy that would just kind of say whatever he thought. And I think they eventually stopped putting him out there as much as they did <laughs> earlier on, right? 
and uh, you know, like I think Winovich a little bit, yeah, the guy in that regard. But with to Chase's credit, I think he was he he was a he pick and cho- he picks and chooses his spots pretty well, and B, I think he also I think he does know when not to say something. And I say this as somebody who says like whatever Brasdeka said about Duke, I'm sure was probably minimal. Like it was probably nothing. I don't even know what he said. He uh, said like that they that they would beat. They them would if love they to play something. Duke. They think they're a better team. Yeah, he thinks stupid. he could guard Zion. He'd quote guard anyone. It's just. But again, if if the question is, what would be what would being ranked number one mean to you, and passing Duke, and he said, yeah, we think we're better than Duke, and I'll guard Zion. I'll guard. Any, but if it, it's different, if it's like. How do you think you'd match up with Duke, or how do you think you would guard Zion and stuff like that? So it's right. it's something for readers to keep in mind. You know, there's and that's why we don't we, have to get it. We don't yeah. have to get too far into it, though. Yeah. But but that's why we often post videos. You know, that include the questions. Right. So anyway, right. um, I don't think he's going to be held scoreless, but it will be interesting to see how he handles being having that target on his back. Sure. Right. So it's. It will be interesting to see, like, you know, because I don't think Roy Williams, I don't think Iggy Brzdakis was the first player he circled in the film room. I'm guessing it was Charles Matthews, Jordan Poole, maybe even Teske and Simpson ahead of him. And then Iggy was like, oh, he's really good. He can score a lot. We don't, but like, you don't know that much about him. So we shall see. Uh, a lot of our listeners will think this is dumb because they play. Michigan will have shown what they can show against Minnesota, but I think the big ones are are the three after tonight's game. It, you know, at, at Indiana, at home against Ohio State. Ohio State's slipping, but I think there's some talent there. And then at Iowa, you know, and again, all three of those teams once thought to be NCAA tournament locks, that grapple hold is kind of slipping. I would say yeah. we're playing desperate teams. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and sometimes that can be worse than playing, you know, just uh, getting up for a big game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's sort of, that really didn't go a lot into my thinking as far as picking Wisconsin last Saturday, but I mean, it, it didn't, it definitely crossed my mind at some point. But like I said, it was, for me, it was more five days off, six days off. I don't remember how many it was. And then uh, just having to play there. And that all, like like I said, and that whole factor of it really kind of played out the way I sort of thought it might, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, a game where they, they looked, in my opinion, I thought they looked better than Wisconsin for much of the game, especially I think there was about a 15-minute stretch, end of the first half and beginning of the second half where it was like you were wondering if Michigan was going to pull away because they were doing so well, but, you know, a shot would rim out or this or that, and then Wisconsin eventually took over. So, yeah, we shall see. As you said, they're they're still seventeen and one. Uh, I don't know. I think they fell to six in the net ranking. So, you know, obviously not not the number one team or right where they were, but not too far behind either. I think that's something. Um, you know, it can be it can be easy, especially if people are football fans first, which I think a lot of Michigan fans are. It can be easy to forget that losses happen all the time. Especially if it if they went seventeen and zero, it's like it's this big deal that they lost. No, I mean last year's team accomplished just about everything it could have, and it had eight losses in the season. So, um, including six at this point in the season. So something to 
something maybe people might want to keep in mind. But anyway, let's move on. Let's talk some recruiting. Uh, we'll we'll do some 2019 discussion in a moment. But Steve, I think uh, I think someone submitted a question and basically said what you and I were saying before the show. That's the the amount of uh, yeah. It was Cody Shackett and said um, seems like <laughs> we. We've been pretty quiet lately on the recruiting front. He also asked, like, you know, he was asking specifically recruits. Obviously, that's more for our VIP listeners. But is there any situation where, like, when's, is there anything to expect to happen in the next two weeks uh, in any class? Oh. I mean, so they're recruiting that uh, that grad transfer tackle from Rice, that uh, Aber. Abercrombia or Aber Zach Abercrombia. Okay. Everything else has been really quiet though. I, I don't know. I suspect uh, if they are going to take an interior guy that, you know, Nua just got on the road. Like I think today may have like may have been his first or second day on the road. Hmm. So I think maybe we'll start to see a name or two surface if that's something that they're still going to pursue. Uh but it's been, yeah, it's been really quiet for 19. You know, they have the two guys that haven't officially been announced by the university as signed. Uh, oh, okay. You know, so that those two guys will make it official in a couple weeks or whatever. And uh, But, yeah, it's been really quiet. Kind of feels like the focus is moving on to 2020, 2021. Is that so. because of spots, needs? I think the numbers are getting, I think the numbers are getting tight. Okay. All that being said, still can't tell you how many they're going to sign. So <laughs> don't ask because like it, it does it. Uh, it always changes. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So. And then, if you want to know more about what we think the recruiting impact of coaches is, be sure to listen to last week's podcast. You know, Josh Gaddis, Anthony Campanelli, and Sean Nua all were mentioned and discussed, including their recruiting chops, but. Papa T-Man asked what you think the recruiting impact is. Is there anything tangible you have seen in the uh, on the trail so far this month from those guys? I know you mentioned Nua, like, just started. But right. is there any, or, or even just, like, recruits being excited by a coach or, you know, maybe giving Michigan a harder look because of a coach? Any Anything stand out so far? No, I mean... You know, obviously a new coach comes in, so you got to ask prospects like what their reaction is. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are usually pretty much the same. The the ones that will always stand out are maybe guys, you know, like a Javon Baker in 2020 who we didn't get a reaction from, but he's uh, verbal to Alabama at wide receiver in 2020, but it was a guy that Gaddis was like instrumental in reeling in. And on the also to add on to that was a guy that Michigan actually hosted on a visit this uh, this season for a game, and is being primarily recruited by Partridge. So, you know, there's there are guys like that. Uh, there are many more of the, yeah, that's a really exciting hire uh, type stuff. <laughs> right. You know? Well, I mean, what are they? You know, that's the thing though is like I know fans always want to know that stuff, but what else are they going to say? And again, unless there's like a previous relationship, you know, I just posted on a. Jalen Berger, who's a top 100 running back out of Jersey. So he's familiar with both Gaddis and Campanelli. Uh, so, you know, what he says to me is more interesting than just say, 
I don't know, other guy who just maybe Michigan's already been recruiting. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't know Gaddis that well. You know what I mean? So, um, also, yeah, you're, you're never going to get the quote like, oh, you know, I actually don't like this guy at all. Like, you know, it's just... Yeah, you're not, it's never going to be, it's never publicly going to be negative. You're right. So, um, yeah. So otherwise, you know, that's, that's about all it can be right now, you know, is that you have to kind of see where they've, where they've developed connections, what prospects they've developed connections with, see if that might change something in those recruitments. And then just kind of, and then kind of then, but it's more on like, you have to wait to let them recruit for a while uh, to get a better feel for yeah. what kind of impact I would say this though. I mean, but it, again, it goes back to what we said last week where like with Gaddis specifically, uh, I mean, they just added another, you say a five-star recruiter, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the best way to put it. Uh, you know, they added another big time recruiter, Campanelli, Nua, less known entities in that regard, but we've heard really, really good things about both guys. I know Arizona found out later, Arizona state, like really, really, worked to try to keep Nua on board uh which again i mean you're you're not just gonna say all right see you later but that they really really pushed to keep him on staff because they thought they felt he was an elite recruiter and a guy that they uh could bank on to to bring in some big time kids up there Mm -hmm. down there down there (laughs) yeah so okay i have a question before we talk about 2019 one more sure for those who, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners follow recruiting, but for those that don't and maybe want to know more or are just getting into it, you have talked in the past about the winter valuation period. You love this time of year. Could you explain maybe the next month or so of the recruiting calendar or whatever it ends up being, between now and spring ball, let's say? Could you explain what it entails what fans maybe can expect from it as far as news, and you can good chance for us to plug some of the stuff that our subscribers pay for, uh, but then also why you like it so much this time of year? Well, I like right now because I'm much more of a, uh, like the macro. I like, I like when new names pop up on the board. I like to fit, kind of get an idea for what their strategy is for the cycle. Um, you know, that's the stuff that I really enjoy. Uh, not so much the, you know, they host a guy and he says like the same things that the last guy that they hosted said about his visit there. Um, although again, like the one, the one, one of the cool things about the job is that you do get to meet a lot of really neat people, you know, and that, that includes the prospect can sometimes include their family, their high school coach, stuff like that. I mean, that's a really cool part of the job too. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird watching the NFL, even in the playoffs. And it's like, it's, it's funny to think like, you know, it's like I interviewed Christian McCaffrey like five or six times when he was in high school. It's, it's like kind of neat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like to think like that you have as minimal a connection as it is. It is kind of neat though. When you talk to a guy and think, you know, this guy's a nice kid. That's I know Christian McCaffrey was one that always stands out was like a uh, really nice guy to talk to, uh, gave good answers, always made himself available. You know, now he's like a big timer in the NFL. Deshaun Hand, too. I know he went to Bama, but he was another one that was a lot of fun uh, to cover in high school. It was a guy I would occasionally stay in touch with when he was at Alabama. And now he's like looking like a stud for the Lions of all teams. So, 
you know, like there's that part of it. And this is kind of a lot of times, this would be the initial period that you learn of Michigan's legit interest in a prospect mm-hmm. for that junior cycle. Uh, the rest of the spring cycle, I mean, I, I, this is going to sound bad. I don't really keep the calendar handy. I just kind of do it as I learn what they're doing. Like they're on the road for one more week. I do know that. Okay. Uh, I suspect that there's probably some kind of slow period or dead period before the second signing day. Um, and then, uh, officials, I believe start back up in April on April 1st, which would be right around when the spring, I don't know when the spring game is this year. Have they, have they announced that or not? I don't know, but no, they haven't even um, announced when spring practices are. Right. So, um, so I do think things slow down after this winter period. I think it's one of the few times the coaching staffs get to maybe take a vacation. Um, and then back in April, like I said, then it's a vacation. Up, up the... <laughs> <laughs> <Just> yeah, <kidding. laughs> no, you're telling me, man. I mean, and we pretty much have to mirror whatever they're doing, right? I mean, I know the second signing day is pretty much useless right now, as far as like the our work is done, pretty much. Like, and that'd probably be the case, like even if they were say they were, had like two or three targets left. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm glad they don't because that's one thing is like it gets really monotonous to have to write 15 updates about three kids, you know, when, you know, with these last couple weeks because nine times out of ten, you kind of have an idea where the guy's going to go. Uh, I mean, there's always that case where a guy legitimately doesn't know, but, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun for me because, like I said, you get to meet a lot of new people, a lot of new kids, like interviewed the – and I'm just starting because I, I try to hold off as long as I can uh, with the uh, sophomore to junior class. I try not to interview those guys like early on at all. I hate doing that. Like 2022. Sorry, I'm just I'm not going to. So, <laughs> uh, just, but uh, no, I'm just not interested. And I feel, you know, the kids, I think sometimes they're too eager to pick up the phone because it's new for them. It's cool to be getting like this, these accolades, this attention. And then uh, six months later they're sick and tired of the process already, you know, because you got eight reporters like blowing you up all the time to get as much information from you as possible. So uh, I try to hold off as long as I can. I'm just starting with some of the 2021s, but like a kid like uh, Kamar Wheaton is a kid they offered out of Texas last week, top running back in the country. Uh, Really good kid, really good kid. It was enjoyable to talk to him, get to know him a little bit. Uh, You know, seems like a fit for what Michigan tries to do, uh, you know, and we'll see where that goes. Again, that's like two years from now at least. But you get what I'm saying, though. It's like you meet a lot of cool people. Like think about like when I interviewed Grant Newsom for the first time, like Mm -hmm. right away it's like Grant Newsom's like you could tell right away like this guy uh, is an awesome person, like a really good kid. And uh, obviously that bore itself out. You know, Ben Bredesen, Tyree Cannell, like all those guys are – guys that you know play for them now that are were so much fun to cover in high school and that's so it's always kind of neat you ever get you never know when you're going to maybe meet somebody else that you uh have a good connection with and like that is uh you know it could be the next big thing in college football Mm -hmm. i'd even say like a kid like trevor lawrence early on in his recruitment until i think things got too stressful was always a kid that would answer even though i always kind of had the idea that he really wasn't that interested in michigan uh would always answer would always give a, de- a decent answer too, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, uh, so there are a lot of good kids out there. I think that's the most fun part of that. And like I said, the macro 
of, you know, it's like I posted today, Michigan offered another kid out of Saguaro in, in Arizona. That's their 10th offer in Arizona, which is as many as they'd offered in the five cycles combined previously. So mm. it's like, I like seeing, well, Hey, like they're going to attack Arizona this cycle. That's interesting to me. You know, what, why, why is it different? Is it cause it's a better group of kids out there or is it just, you know what I mean? So that's yeah. the type of stuff that I like, you know, and I have my thing about California where I don't think they've offered enough young guys out there. Um, you know, that's the type of stuff I like. The logistical side of recruiting is like way more interesting to me than the, um, you know, in-state three-star reacts to his 18th visit to Michigan <laughs> in the last nine months, you know, like mm-hmm. that, uh, that stuff's way more interesting to me. And I think it's way more, uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's more interesting. should be more interesting for people that do or don't follow it. You know, I, I do. I think it's way more interesting. Mm-hmm. By the way, for the calendar, dead period, uh, I'm sorry, the contact period ends February 3rd. Right, so that's the day, I think that's the day after or the day of National Second Signing Day. Yeah, yeah. that would make a good deal of sense. Uh, dead period, 4th through 7th, then a quiet period, February 8th to April 14th. And then I think they have then the 15th through, through the 31st of May is uh evaluation period i thought i saw the visit start april 1st yeah so now that i know it's yeah yeah and that's up to the kid again that again another thing interested to see how michigan goes about the officials for the junior for that class again this year you know you talk about they they did well with the summer i know you were uh, no didn't didn't i mean well it's like but again like some of these are situations where they're not going to have any choice like you take a kid like to Corey couch who they had one time had committed at cornerback, you know, came all the way up from South Florida, loved it, committed. And it's like, crap, like, how are we going to get this kid all the way back up here on his own dime, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then, of course, then months go by. He hasn't been back to Michigan. I don't even think, it, I don't know how long he waited. I think it was only a couple de- weeks, yeah. Yeah, but then he decommitted and then eventually signed with Miami where he had, you know, I was like, contact I have at Miami, you know, told me the day that he committed to Michigan that this is actually good news for us (laughs) because he's already used as official. We can get him on campus anytime we want. You know, he's never going to, there, there's almost no chance they're going to get him back up for an unofficial uh, for whatever reason. And uh, you know, so this actually him committing now actually gives us a better shot at signing him. I mean, that's how funky, like some of that stuff is right. So interested to see how they, if they do it, do it any differently, you know, mm-hmm. if they do approach it any differently with some kids and say, Hey, you know, again, you got to remember uh, you get Notre Dame, Michigan state and Ohio state at home this year, last year, the home slate, you know, it's pretty much Penn state, and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So you could argue you got three bigger games at home this year than any home game you had last year. So I wonder, you know, if they may tell some kids, you know, hey, we we want you to come up, but we'd much rather you use your official visit for one of these three dates, right? Like something like that. So, you know, but again, there are going to be guys where they're not going to have a choice because some kids are going to say, yeah, I think I want to decide this summer and I'm going to take all my officials, you know, and that's where those schools where the talent sits. I don't know if we're rambling yet, but, you know, you go to schools like with Georgia, Clemson, Miami, Florida, Florida State, Alabama, LSU, all those schools, where it's like the bulk of the talent in the country 
are within driving distance of a lot of those programs, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. obviously out west, there's a lot of guys too, but you get my point here, is where, you know, this early official visit period is such a huge advantage for those programs because those kids that will tire the process, they'll take their five officials, right, or four of them, and they'll take them, let's say, like, let's just say they take it to, like, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, or, and then they'll go out west to Washington or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that kid, it's going to cost him a tank of gas and maybe a couple burgers to go visit Georgia every three weeks for the rest of this rest of their recruitment if they want to. Mm-hmm. Knowing and Georgia sit back thinking, well, he's maybe going to get to go see Michigan one more time, right? We we can get this kid on campus anytime we want, but he's already used his official there. So now we have like six months from June until the first signing period in December to get this kid back up as many times as we can, you know? And it, so it, you, you see what I'm saying where it's like, yeah. Those, yeah. so those talent rich areas like have a massive, massive advantage with these spring officials. And like I said, it all kind of ties together when I talk about kids that answer the phone really early in their recruiting process from reporters, they get tired of the process, <laughs> they speed up their timelines and it throws everything on for a whack, you know? So it's all kind of ties in at the end of the day. So uh, really interested to see if Michigan does anything differently. I have to think that they will because they have those three games at home. That's, okay. I mean, it just there is no reason not to try to uh, make those three games the focal point of this upcoming recruiting class. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Glad I asked. Well, you know, because I think we have a lot of recruiting uh, savant or not savants recruiting fans that listen. Maybe maybe some people would like to know more. Uh, we got one more question, and then we can we can wrap up for today. Twenty nineteen. Think we're gonna end up maybe devoting a little bit to the twenty nineteen class the next couple weeks. But sure, uh, we had someone ask if you made a starting five of the twenty nineteen offensive line recruits, what would it look like? And to preface it, they have six offensive line recruits. I think they feel very, very good. This is from you. I think you've had some stories in pointing this out. Feel very, very good about their offensive line. I mean, Nolan Rumler, Trent Jones are, are two top 200 guys. Uh, you know, they, they what's that? Keegan. Yeah, top Tr- 200 Trevor, well. Trevor Keegan. Yep. You know, and Zach Carpenter was someone they, the second option in that recruitment was Clemson. So, you know the identifying talent uh, seemed to be there. You know, so so I guess looking at these five, what do you make of the class for uh, as far as offensive line go? And then is it too soon maybe for some of these guys for position? Because I know some you know uh, a couple of those guys they probably want to fill out the frame. It seems like Michigan's shifting more toward that kind of recruit. But what do you make of the class? And then any positional designations yet? It's hard to – okay, so there's a, a few that are uh, – four of the four of the six are kind of no-doubters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rumler, Carpenter, I think, will be – will play center. Okay. I think. I believe Rumler is a guard all the way. I don't know whether that's left or right. You know, I, I suspect that's something they figure out after they get him up, right? I mean, he's – I think Rumler is good enough where – it may not be left or right as much as it is, okay, 
we know this guy can beat out our current starter at left or right. You know what I mean? Like he may just play where he can get it, where they can get him on the field earliest. Okay. Uh, is he, he that? Is he that good? I think he's. I think he's one of the safer bets in the entire class. Okay. Uh, I think he's a. Uh, you know, it's like he didn't get a lot of hype during Under Armour week early? At, at the at the practice, but he had an awesome game. And okay. I kind of think that's who he is. Is like I think he's a guy that shows up on Saturdays, right? So um, he'll be a guard. Jones and Keegan are definitely tackles. I suspect that Jones is a right tackle, and I think that Keegan is a left tackle. Uh, that's a guess, but I kind of feel good on that. The other two in Stewart and Barnhart are kind of the Play-Doh kind yeah, of guys. Like 280 like pounds, they, both of them. Right. I feel like they could each end up in a really almost anywhere. I would argue, and I know there are others that feel this way, I think Barnhart may have the highest ceiling of any of the six hmm. prospects. Um, I say him or Jones. Okay. Jones, I think, I think Jones is a guy who now is going to end the cycle as their highest ranked offensive lineman, which I kind of believe is the I think that's correct. I mean, you know, it's like we, we get to put in names every cycle of guys that are committed to the school we cover that, you know, if we have any opinions on where their ranking should go. And I think both times I, I think Jones was the one guy that I, you know, made a point to say like, you know, this guy's not ranked nearly high enough. And of course it bore itself out at Under Armour, you know, where he was one of the best offensive linemen there. So yeah, he's um, up to 142 in the composite. Yeah, it's a huge jump. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a massive jump for him. So, and well-deserved, like I said, I think he's, uh, you know, when I think I've said this a billion times at this point, but when he committed to Michigan, uh, there were people at the, I don't, I wouldn't say in the Grayson program, but um, let's just say people in the, just that area of Georgia, I guess, who believe that he's better than Wanya Morris, who is the five-star. I don't know if he ended this as a five-star top 100 guy that's committed to Tennessee. Hmm. And so, uh, and again, you know, Jones committed early, but Clemson also made a run at him. Florida State made a run at him. Florida made a run at him, you know, with, with Rumler. Ohio State made a run after Drevno left. Uh, Notre Dame sniffed around too. Keegan obviously was kind of the bigger, biggest recruiting win because it was later than all the other ones. You know, they beat Georgia and Penn State. Uh, Michigan beat Michigan State head-to-head for Carson Barnhart. Carpenter, you already talked about Clemson. And then Stu- even Jack Stewart. You know, the guy who's kind of the forgotten man of the six uh, had op- visited Auburn and visited Texas A&M, and both schools uh, would have taken a commitment from him for sure. You know, so, yeah, Stewart kind of the enigma guy. You know, small school. You know, I've the uh, I've heard Stuber whispered. Okay. Uh, which is, if anyone who's known my coverage knows that I was a big, big fan of Andrew Stuber coming out of high school. So, um, you know, I think he's another guy that could surprise everybody, you know, in this class. Again, you got to remember how early they took him too. They took him very, very early uh, in the cycle. So, you know, I've always been a believer in is if, if it's a guy that they'll take early on, hmm. you know, who doesn't have like, let's say like a super national, like I said, he had Auburn, he had Texas A&M, he had a couple other pretty good schools that were after him, but didn't have, you know, Bama. It wasn't like a national recruiting victory, let's say. Um, but if they take a guy like that that early, usually says that they feel pretty 
pretty, pretty good about his prospects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, I wish I could give a better answer on Barnhart and Stewart, but I just, I don't, I don't think they even know where they'd put him right now. Right. Uh, I would, if I had to, it's kind of funny because Barnhart's listed as a guard and Stewart's listed as a tackle. But if I had to absolutely guess, I may reverse it. I mean, uh, but that, that'd be a total guess. Cause I do think either of those guys could play. Uh, I don't think either of them are, would be a center. Right. But I think either of them are potential guard or tackle on the outside. So, yeah, well, it's, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. There's, there's a shift. I mean, obviously they want the player that they want, but you know, Michigan seems even less afraid than than before getting some of those Plato guys that they believe in filling out their frames. I think Ryan Hayes is was obviously right. the archetype or the prototype last year. You know, get get athletic, lengthy guys. Barnhart reminds me of Jalen Mayfield a little bit. Okay, I'd say that, and not just because they play in West Michigan. No, <laughs> I just think they're similar profiles, like physically. Uh, their their strongest attributes are similar. Is that they're pretty they're uh, plus ath- athletes for their size. Uh, I think Barnhart does kind of have some Jalen Mayfield to him, you know, because and that's that's partly why I kind of think he'll eventually play tackle because that with Mayfield and Hayes last cycle, uh, I don't think there was ever any doubt that either of those guys were going to be tackles, right? Especially mm-hmm. Hayes. I mean, there's no way Hayes was ever going to be a guard. I mean, he's as long as he was, and, and as, you know, he's sort of that tight end eventually turning into a tackle guy, right? So, um, so yeah, it's funny. I think, I think this is the first cycle, 2020, upcoming right now, where I think you would argue that offensive line is very on the very low end of, like, needs. Uh, yeah. It's always going to be a spot that you want to take, like, guys, obviously, right? I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> – <laughs> but but it's much but it's much much less of a need than it has been in years past. I say that knowing they only took two in 2018, but I, I just I think it's I think it's an even lower need now because they did need tackles in 18. That's why the two guys they took were just tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know they returned four starters. They have a great crop of the the kids from 17 who aren't starting. Even guys like Honigford, Filiaga, uh, are guys that are primed, I think, to eventually make some kind of impact. And then we all know about you know how much hype Mayfield had immediately coming out last year, and then that that hype kind of transferred over to Hayes uh, during fall practice and during uh, bowl practice. So mm-hmm. you know I think they're in a position right now where they try to take as the best guys they can get. I don't want to go and say regardless of position, but I do think, you know, I just don't think the positional need is as much as it is just like, let's just try to get some like really talented guys in here. Yeah. Yep. One more question sure. from DNB. How do you expect Mike Barrett to be utilized next year? So when we were at the Peach Bowl, now we know why Michigan won't open up practices. There was news about him playing linebacker after he had been moved reportedly back to receiver. So so he com- he was a quarterback in high school. He committed as kind of a running I think he was listed as a running back, but you know, we you talked about slot receiver, you know, that type of role. And then he was moved to Viper and then he was moved back to receiver and then it sounds like he might be back to Viper. But by now, I mean, who knows, maybe they've moved him again. Uh 
any any idea how he I, I think you have said he should be used in the receiving game but any idea what the plan is for him no and that's it's a, it's a tough question to answer right this second because of the the new hires that they've made are kind of at those like I mean, I'd say right, as of right now that Partridge is still coaching safeties, right? It hasn't. I know it hasn't been fully decided what Campanelli's role is going to be. It could be linebackers, actually, still. Uh, I don't know if it'll play out that way. But with that said, uh, Gaddis looks like I suspect that his primary focus will be on the receivers, much like Don Brown's primary focus has been on backers. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think it's. I think you're going to have. I think it could be a tug of war or. Or it'll just depend on, you know, what which coach thinks of his abilities. I've, I think he's an offensive player all the way. I, I does I, his I weight know. factor in? Because I think he, he he got heavier. I don't know if he got bigger. I don't don't know what he it looked could. like before. Don't know what he looks like now. But he's getting a little heavy to be a typical kind of I agree. slot receiver I, that's, type. That's that's fair. Uh, I just his film on offense was just he's just one of those guys that knows what's knows what to do when he has the ball in mm-hmm. his hands. Uh, that being said, though, you could argue that also means that he just has instincts, and that means he could play play really well on the defensive side of the ball too, right? So yeah, I mean, they've switched be, a couple of these guys yeah. back and forth. Like Hassan Haskins has been moved back and forth now a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, between running back and linebacker, you know, and so it's uh and it's it's those two guys in particular where it's like kind of hard to answer because it's it may just depend on you know say for Haskins like it may depend on what Gaddis thinks of him as a running back right mm-hmm. or what you know so um yeah it also if depends if you that linebacker for peach bowl practice i guess i'd just err on the side of caution and say that's probably where he's going to go yeah with as many especially if you consider you know i talk about slot receiver i mean they Giles Jackson Sinery still yeah, George Johnson, uh, you know, even Quintel Kent, you know, yeah. like I just feel like they've they recruited that position pretty heavily, so it may be a situation where they feel comfortable with Barrett as a defender at this point. All right, good That'd stuff. Be something we'd yeah. update on Pronto if we got it, obviously. Yeah, well, and again, it's, it's you know, I don't I don't mind the question, but it's it's an interesting time all. time of year because it's like the coaches probably have no idea they haven't right. even like it's not it even is. on the forefront of their minds so correct um, i agree it's not something that we would really know until spring ball but it is a fair question in that context that you know he's a guy i know i specifically said i thought would make an impact here you know so to just just to discuss him and mm-hmm. maybe talk about where we think he'd fit best is as beneficial as kind of guessing yeah he actually will play this year right so. Anyway, that's going to do it for our stuff today. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Check out all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com, 247sports.com. Whether it's basketball, football news, uh, we'll start doing some position reviews to, to close out this month. You know, whether it's recruiting, you know, it, it's slow, but it's not nothing, right? I think Steve had several updates just today on various new offers or people it's that are not slow it's sorry to interrupt sorry zach go ahead but it's yeah. not slow recruiting wise right now like as far as only as it pertains to the junior and sophomore i mean they're throwing this is kind of they're throwing out the bulk of their offers right now so okay. there's a lot to discuss as, as far as that goes you know and 
reworking those recruiting boards because at the end of the day, we're really in the middle of the 2020 recruiting cycle right now. It's, it's, I know that the 2019 signing day hasn't even hit, <laughs> but this really is kind of the heart of the cycle for that group. So yeah. uh, you learn a lot right now. So sorry. There we go. So it's not even slow. So plenty to read about the MichiganInsider.com, 247sports.com. For Steve Lorenz on the phone lines, who is now muted just so I don't get cut off again. Uh, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.